Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. You know, as a musician growing up, I was in a band and started when I was about 12 years old. I loved being in a band, had a lot of benefits. I was kind of an introvert, so it uh, helped me to meet people and play music and get better at my craft. But I always dreamed of being in the band. You know, there's a difference between being in a band and being in the band. So I remember when I got the call to try for the Jan and Dean band, and maybe you don't know Jan and Dean, they were an early surf band, and they did songs like Little Old Lady from Pasadena, Dead Man's Curve. And at the time, I was in a band, not as famous as this one. So I went and auditioned, and as John Lennon said, I paused the audition, and I made it into the Jan and Dean band, which opened up the door to make it into the band, the Beach Boys band, and the rest is history. So even though I was in a band, <laughs> I was not in the band. I hope you understand what I'm talking about here, because what I'm going to relate it to is before Pentecost, the apostles and the disciples were in a so-called band. They were followers of Jesus. And in the Greco-Roman world, they were part of what was called an ecclesia. Ecclesia, we pronounce it. A group of people who gathered. It was an assembly. However, it wasn't until Pentecost when that group of apostles and disciples became known as the ecclesia, which is the called out assembly of God. So in essence, before Pentecost, they were in a band. After Pentecost, they were in the band. Everything changed overnight. What made the difference? The Holy Spirit poured out as prophesied in the Old Testament. So today we're going to continue a new normal. We're going to talk about a new church, a new ecclesia. The word ecclesia is used throughout the New Testament. It's a Greek word, but it means assembly. In fact, it can mean any assembly. In Acts 19.2, refers to an unruly mob. So it wasn't until Jesus spoke of his church that it was translated as church. And the first time that happens is in Matthew 16.18. Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my ecclesia, church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So before this statement, Ecclesia was just known as any assembly, any gathering. What changed it? Jesus referred to it as my Ecclesia, my church. Are you part of Jesus's Ecclesia, which is different than being in a band? You are now in the band, Jesus's Ecclesia. For the apostles, things changed overnight. One day they were casting lots to see who would take Judas's place. The next day, they were preaching powerful sermons and healing thousands of people, and that's the church. Jesus said, you do greater things after I leave to go be the Father because I will send my Spirit to live inside of you. That's a new church, a new ecclesia. What was normal one day changed overnight and became a new normal. And when this is over, I believe there will be a new normal, and it will be better, and it will be a new ecclesia not different than what is now, but a new one, more powerful as people submit their lives 
to the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about the church. Let's talk about the Ecclesia and give some history. First of all, the church was born on Pentecost. What is Pentecost? Well, the word Pentecost means 50th. It's the 50th day after the Feast of Harvest or the day of the first fruit. It was celebrating the 50th day after the planting of the harvest. And it was seven weeks. So it's also known as the Feast of Weeks. And what was planted was wheat. There was a wheat harvest. So people would gather in Jerusalem from all over the world, and some would bring their first fruit, bring it to the temple. And it was a very important festival. So on this day in the book of Acts, chapter 2, the disciples were in a room, and the Holy Spirit poured out. What made it different is this Pentecost became a spiritual Pentecost. So it's 50 days after what we would be known as Easter. But in the Hebrew, it would be 50 days after what would be known as Passover. So it was the weekend of Passover, remember, when Jesus died, right, and rose from the dead. So 50 days later, guess what happens? Exactly what he said was going to happen. His spirit was poured out on the church, and they became a new ecclesia, Jesus' church. So there's some important analogies to know here, and don't miss this. First of all, as the harvest was one of wheat, Jesus often refers to the church as wheat. In fact, he differentiates between wheat, true wheat, and chaff, which is fake wheat. So the first fruit of true wheat was harvested and brought on Pentecost. Remember, there's a lot of people in Jerusalem this day. It was perfect. God had it all planned out. As the harvest, so follow me here because I'm trying to help you see how powerful the analogy is here. First of all, the church is known as wheat. Secondly, the harvest, Jesus is known as the first fruit of the resurrection. So in other words, he was the first one to rise from the dead. And because of his resurrection, there's a huge harvest of those who place their faith in him. We will rise with him. So that's a spiritual harvest. And then as the harvest is born of the seed, because in order to have a harvest, you have to plant the seed. Jesus referred to himself as a seed. And the believer when he places his faith in Christ, the one who went into the ground, is born and comes alive as Jesus came alive, which produces a harvest of the Spirit. In Romans 8.23, the believer is referred to as receiving the first fruits of the Spirit. So, it's not a coincidence that the birth of the church was on the day of the celebration of the harvest. Remember, I just said that Jesus referred to himself as a seed that would fall into the ground in John, in the Gospel of John. He says this. And so in order for the spiritual harvest to come, the first fruit, Jesus, had to die. He became the seed that was placed in the ground. So that refers to his death, where he died in my place, and was crucified on the cross and laid in the ground. But the seed produces 
a crop, a harvest. That's what the farmer knows. So the seed rose, Jesus, he became the first fruit of this harvest, which is the resurrection. And on the first day of the week, the first fruit of the harvest came to life. And those who believe in him became one with him in his death and resurrection and a part of this important harvest. That's why Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And when you place your faith in Christ, you have a spiritual Pentecost. The believer receives the Holy Spirit, which becomes a seal of ownership, and you become a part of the harvest that's in Christ. We will all rise from the dead to be with him, and we've received the Spirit as the guarantee, as a down payment of that day. So all this stuff happened on Pentecost. That's the day the ecclesia, the church, was born. Okay, so that's 50 days, seven weeks after the resurrection, and the celebration was of a physical harvest, but we celebrate a spiritual harvest. 3,000 souls came to Christ and became members of the same harvest that we are a part of today. And the ecclesia that was known as just an assembly became Jesus's assembly, Jesus's church. Now, before all this happened, Jesus commanded his disciples to wait. And in Acts 1.8, it says, You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he said, wait for the power. They locked themselves up in a room, and they prayed, and they waited. And then the Spirit was poured out, because on Acts 2.1, it says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were gathered together in one place. Next, that was the day the church is born of the Spirit. So Pentecost is the day the church is born of the Spirit. If not for the Spirit, we would be separated from Christ. So I want you to understand the importance here because the Word, Jesus, and the Spirit work together. And the Spirit is the one who lives inside of us just as he came upon the disciples. He comes upon us and inside of us. In John chapter 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, and that literally can mean from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When I was growing up, I went to church every Sunday, but I was spiritually blind. I didn't know the truth of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I saw him as a distant God. I went to church, but I was not of the church. Only when you have a Pentecost experience by receiving the Holy Spirit by faith in Christ can you enter the kingdom of God, therefore being a part of Jesus's ecclesia, his church. Now, Jesus spoke a lot about this, but the disciples missed it. What I want to encourage us to realize is when we're reading scripture and studying scripture or hearing a sermon, 
let's not miss the important details because we find that if you want to read John chapter 14 through 16, you will find a lot of information about what was going to be in the future, but what we see at Pentecost. Jesus told the disciples. He told them what laid ahead. All those disciples, they didn't understand it at the time, but when they look back, they go, oh man, the writing was on the wall, so to speak. So in John 16, 7, Jesus says, But I tell you the truth, and he's speaking to his disciples in the room, and he says, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, and that word is parakletos, which means someone who comes alongside you, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So what is he speaking of? Pentecost. In order for Pentecost to happen, Jesus had to die as a seed in the ground rise from the dead, but not only rise from the dead, he had to ascend to the Father and be seated at the right hand of the Father. Then, and only then, could the Spirit come. And the Spirit is the one that comes alongside us to help us and to minister to us as if Jesus were here. It's the Spirit of Christ. And the Spirit lives in the ecclesia, the church. So when we're uh, ministering to people, it's as if Jesus himself is ministering through us because the Spirit lives in us. That's how important Pentecost is. Jesus gave this incredible insight into the ministry of the Holy Spirit when he said this in John 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. The reason it's capitalized is speaking of the Spirit. That he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he's with you and will be in you. So Jesus is saying the Spirit is with you, but one day he's going to be in you, and he's speaking of Pentecost. See, before your Pentecost experience, the Holy Spirit was with you. He was drawing you to Jesus Christ. But when Pentecost came for you and for me, the Spirit entered into your life and sealed you for eternity, becoming a part of the band, becoming a part of the ecclesia, the church. So on Pentecost, the disciples, the scripture says they were all together in one room. This is important because what if some were not there? Like you remember on Easter, the first Easter, Thomas wasn't there. Now, Jesus showed up a week later, and Thomas came to faith. But think about how incredibly disappointing it would have been to miss Pentecost. One of the things that would really disappoint me and bother me in the life of the church and our church and just generally in church, I think we started to take it for granted, like it was just some other assembly instead of the assembly, that bothers me. So while we're in this room, we're not necessarily physically together, but we're spiritually together. But when we get out of here, let's not take for granted to be physically together. Because the Holy Spirit does amazing things when we're together. In fact, I saw a uh, funny church sign the other day. I drove by it. Jesus said, where two or more, but less than 10 are gathered, there I am also. 
that's not true, but it's kind of funny because we live in a weird time. But there's going to be a new normal. When we get to that new normal, let's not miss the ecclesia, the gathering of the ecclesia. Let's make a commitment that we're going to show up and we're going to worship together. Do you know what the most essential service is? Service to our Lord Jesus Christ through worship. There's nothing more essential than that. So let's remember that. Now I want to read from Acts chapter 2. So I'm going to start in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And I like what Sinclair Ferguson wrote. He says, The sound like a blowing of a violent wind echoes the imagery of the powerful operation of the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, which I spoke of last week, of creation, suggesting that the event about to take place marks the beginning of a new world order. What is that new world order? It's the new creation, the new church. The Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's the new normal. Now, let's talk a little about the tongues, because it goes on to say, and there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So what is this phenomena, this tongues? Now, notice that it's a gift of intelligible language, because it goes on in verse 5, Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation and under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them to speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that they know and speak my language, they're basically saying. This incident here, this specific tongues, and the word can be translated language, is an actual language. It's different than the tongues in 1 Corinthians, where Paul writes that if anyone speaks in tongues, there needs to be an interpretation. Because in that sense, it's a spiritual language And in order for anyone to get anything out of it, except you personally, then someone would have to interpret it. But here in Acts chapter 2, no one was interpreting it. They were speaking a language they never learned. It was a move of God's Spirit, a powerful move. Now, does God do this specific thing? I've never experienced this specific thing, but I'm sure if God wanted to get some word out and he wanted to use someone to do that, he would give them the ability to speak in the language of the people. So this is different than the tongues, the spiritual prayer language, so to speak, of tongues. Now, I believe that all the gifts, all the spiritual gifts are still active and alive today because the Holy Spirit is active and alive. I don't read anywhere in the Bible that some cease to exist. Some people believe that some of the signs and wonders and gifts of tongues cease to exist. I don't see that. I think what happens is people get maybe fearful and they don't know how to categorize things. And so they're like, I don't know. I don't believe that anymore. But we can't do that. We can't limit what God wants to do. I also want you to know that the Bible is clear, as 
Paul says in Corinthians. He says, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but I'd rather you prophesy. So basically, apparently what he's saying is that not everyone in that church spoke in tongues. So it's important to understand that tongues is a spiritual gift, and God decides how to dispense his gifts and to whom to dispense it. So when you read Acts, you notice it's a chronological historical book. So you see the first three, four chapters, there's a lot of this tongue spoken that when people received Christ and the Holy Spirit came, then they spoke in tongues. As you read through Acts, you'll start to see that that sign specifically started to diminish as the sign of salvation. Why is that? Well, think about it. Something new was born, and God was confirming and validating it outwardly, especially for the Gentiles, because the Jews started the church, who were part of the first ecclesia, Jewish people, right? The apostles were Jewish. They became believers. They believed in Jesus as their Messiah, and they received the Holy Spirit. But think about this. Think about being a Jew at that time and receiving the Holy Spirit, and then all of a sudden, God says, go out and witness to Gentiles, which first of all would freak them out. But then how would they know if they truly came to faith? Well, one of the ways God chose to do an outward sign where when they received the Holy Spirit, they started speaking in tongues. So the Jews would go, wow, they received the same gift we did. Today, that doesn't happen that way necessarily, because we know that when we preach the gospel and someone receives Christ and they confess him, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't say, and you start speaking in tongues. But again, I'm not saying that tongues don't exist, but we have to understand how God is moving that way for that purpose and today for his purpose today. Salvation, really quick, because I want us to understand that. Some people think there's like steps of salvation. First, this happens and this happens. Well, if you really think about it, if that were the case, then how would you know you're going to heaven? Like if the Bible says, if you're saved, you're going to heaven. Well, if you think that, oh, I have to wait to receive this, and what if you die in between there? That doesn't make sense. So salvation is a unitary process. In fact, it's wrong to believe that the believer receives the Spirit in increments. That's like thinking we're sanctified in steps, when the Bible says that you are sanctified in Christ because you have Christ. So people who teach like a second and third baptism of the Spirit, that causes confusion because people will doubt their salvation first, but also it divides believers into a class system. Like, I'm a first-class Christian, you're a second-class. You know, you got to get here, you got to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit to become a first-class. When the Bible says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism— The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the sealing of the believer in Ephesians 1.13 as a deposit for the future. No one's going to receive more of the Spirit. Now, you can be filled with the Spirit one day and not filled. That's a different thing. We're not talking about that. But salvation 
is a unitary process that when one comes to faith, you receive all of God, not parts, and then, oh, I'll get the next part next week. You know, that's not how it works. Thank God. And then the church is born of the Word. So it's born of the Spirit and the Word. The Word is Jesus Christ and His Word in the Bible. So Acts 2 reveals the outpouring of the Spirit as prophesied in the Old Testament and as prophesied by Jesus. Acts 2 also reveals the preaching of the gospel, which is the way by which the unbeliever receives the gift of salvation. So it's by the preaching of the Word that someone comes to faith. So again, let's look at Acts 2 and go to verse 14. It says, But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Man of Judea, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk. So what they're saying, wow, these guys are drunk. They're speaking in a weird language. Peter goes, they're not drunk. It's only the third hour. It's only nine in the morning. Peter goes right to the Old Testament. He said, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it's in Joel chapter two. It says, and it shall be in the last days, God says that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth or pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. What is that day? Pentecost. What is the last days? We're living in it. God is still doing Pentecosts. Think about that. He's preaching this powerful sermon, this spirit-filled sermon, and he's preaching to a particular audience, people from all over the world, Jews specifically, who came for the Feast of the Weeks to celebrate the harvest, to bring their first fruits to the temple. And I'm sure that the languages, the tongues that were being spoken were edifying and confirming the words of Peter so that everyone would understand. Wow, that's amazing. And in Peter's sermon, he includes three references to the Old Testament. First, he talks about Joel as we went through. He also talks from Psalm 16, which is a messianic psalm. And it's verse 10 where It says, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. So the psalmist is speaking of Jesus Christ, who would not stay dead. And then Psalm 110, he quotes from them. This is an incredibly important verse. Psalm 110.1, David writes, the Lord, and that's capitalized because it's speaking of Yahweh, says to my Lord, who's that speaking of? Our Lord, Jesus Christ. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Where is Jesus currently? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father to come back again. Once God is done with this time, which is the last days, with the age of grace, giving people a chance to have a Pentecost experience by receiving Christ. When that time is done, and only God knows when that is, Jesus will come back and he will reign and judge over his enemies, his enemies, the ones that reject him. You don't want to be then, you want to be now. You want to have your Pentecost experience now so that you don't have to be his enemy. You can be his friend. 
Peter ends in verse 36. He says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, Jesus Christ, both Lord and Christ, or both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Wow. Not bad for a fisherman. You know, it's a great sermon. He's quoting from the Old Testament. And he brings it home. And he says, you crucified him. Now imagine going to church and expecting some kind of fluffy sermon and hearing that, hey, you crucified Jesus, so you got to repent and put faith in him so that you're not separated from him as his enemy. You need to receive Christ. I believe we need sermons like this. People need to hear the truth. What did Jesus say to Peter, who's a fisherman? says, Peter, you're going to be a fisher of men. And this happened on this day, 3,000 souls, it says in Acts 2.41. Those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls on one day. And that's when the ecclesia became the ecclesia. The church was born on Pentecost, born of the Spirit and the Word. So, as I want to do every week as we end, I want to talk about what to expect when this is over. First, expect a new Pentecost. Not the same exact one, but a similar one. As the disciples were held up in a room and told to quarantine to wait, the Spirit was about to pour out like never before. That's what's going to happen. God is strengthening His church. In our waiting, we are being strengthened. But here's the thing. You cannot share what you do not have. You have to be born of the Spirit to share the Spirit and to share the Word. So that's the first thing. Be born of the Spirit. And then you have to be full of conviction and boldness. That's nothing's going to stop you from preaching and sharing Christ. Not your fear, not your insecurities, not your lack of knowledge. I mean, imagine Peter. He's a fisherman. He wasn't a rabbi. But that didn't stop him. The Holy Spirit took over and he started quoting Scripture in boldness and power. Right now, we are not together in one place physically, but we are together spiritually. And when this is over, I want you to expect a move of the Spirit like Pentecost. And it begins in your heart. And when we gather together in one place, Don't let anything stop you from gathering with your ecclesia, with Jesus' ecclesia. Don't miss Pentecost. Next, expect a new presence. Expect a new presence in your life. Before you were saved, the Spirit was with you. He was drawing you to Christ. But now that you are saved by faith in Christ, the Spirit is not just with you. The Spirit is in you. And I've said this before, you have the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have you? In other words, are you submitting to the Spirit of God in your life? If the Spirit of God led you to start sharing Christ in the grocery store or in the parking lot or wherever you are, would you do that? Would you submit to Him or would you submit to your fear? If you want a new move of the Spirit, a new Pentecost, a new church, you need to submit to the Spirit. The same Spirit that gave Peter the power and boldness to preach 
that sermon and 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ is the same Spirit who lives in you. And then third, expect a new preaching. The church needs to preach like Peter. No fluffy sermons. We should be less concerned about what people think and more concerned about what God thinks. Is there anyone that you know who might not know what I just taught? You need to share this sermon with them. Some people don't even know what happened to them when they got saved. They don't even realize that the power of God lives in them. They don't realize that we're only here in this earth for a little while. But our citizenship is in heaven. I saw something I read today that someone was complaining about the church wanting to meet again. And this tried to be an insult, but I took it as a compliment. In the article, it said, these Christians want to get out of lockdown and open up because they believe in a heaven. Amen. This isn't it. If you just think this is it, then you never want to get out of lockdown. You'll be so scared. What if I die? What if I die? I go to be with Christ. Every single apostle that was at Pentecost was martyred. They died for their faith. We need to expect a new preaching, not just from me, from you. You have the same spirit I do. It's not like you have less of the spirit. You have to trust the spirit. You have to trust God. Do what God is telling you to do at that moment and don't wait too long. Because this waiting is going to be over. We're not going to wait forever. God is working in us now. We're ready to go. You have trusted God for salvation, but here's the thing. He has also trusted you with his gospel. Do you know that? He has trusted you with the good news. It's a treasure. It's a powerful narrative that destroys all other narratives. God made Jesus both Lord and Savior, and there's no other way to heaven except through Him. When powerful preaching happens, this happens. In verse 37 of Acts 2, Peter has just told them that you crucified. But when they heard this, they were pierced to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They were pierced in their heart. Jesus was pierced on the cross and his word should pierce our heart. And when that happens, we should respond with Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do? Now, Peter went on to say, believe and be baptized. But here's the thing. This message is not just for unbelievers. This message is for believers too. In fact, Paul said, I need to go to Rome to preach the gospel to the church. Why? Because the church is ignorant to the gospel. And when you hear the word, you just don't sit there. What you need to say is, Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do? What shall I do, Lord? And I want you to contemplate that. And I want you to expect an answer. And when you get an answer, you do it. And then you go, Lord Jesus, what shall I do? And then you wait for an answer. And then you get the next answer and you do that. Because if you're not willing to do the next thing, don't expect to do the third thing. This is a message that the church needs to hear. We have the Spirit, but the Spirit have you. 
You've experienced Pentecost, but is Pentecost flowing through you to other people? Because other people need to hear the message of Pentecost and receive their own Pentecost so that the church, the ecclesia, will grow before Jesus comes back. God's kingdom will expand with born-again people who have received the Holy Spirit and are submitting to the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. It pierces our heart. It pierces my heart. I pray, Lord, that when I get to the end of my life, that I'll have no regrets, that I won't say, oh, I wish I would have trusted God there. I wish I would have trusted God at that time when I didn't, and I fell into fear instead of faith. I don't want that for any of us. And if you've never received Jesus Christ into your heart, do that now by saying, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Make me a new person by your Spirit. I ask your Spirit, Holy Spirit, come into my heart. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he rose from the dead, died in my place and rose from the dead. And I believe he's coming again. And for all believers, let's pray and submit and say, Lord Jesus, use my hands, my feet, make me your voice, glorify yourself through me. Like, Lord, as at at Pentecost, may I be bold and preach sermons like Peter. Maybe I be filled with your Spirit. I know I have your Spirit, but I be filled with your Spirit with boldness and do your will in this broken, lost world. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com. Make me your voice.